the highest expression and the holiest exercise of Christian worship. That's how our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, describes the Lord's Supper today in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to hop aboard the Bible bus for another great adventure in God's Word. Before we begin, let's take a few minutes to read some letters from our fellow passengers. First, we hear from a listener in Tennessee. I'm new on the Bible bus. I've been listening for three months and have gleaned so much insight into God's Word in that short time. I am a 32-year-old woman caring for my partially disabled mother. I am also a recent college graduate and am trying to find work. I have been saved since I was six years old and fell away from the Lord for many years. I've always loved to study and read God's Word, but Dr. McGee has given me insight into the Scriptures that I never had before. I have to credit Dr. McGee and the Bible bus with getting me back into God's Word and joining a church. I'm a member of the choir and am very active in the women's ministry. I couldn't be happier to be once again restored to fellowship to Jesus and my family church. Well, we certainly love to hear how God's working in your lives as we study His Word together. Now, here's another letter. This one's from a listener named Gina. I'm originally from Acapulco, Mexico, but now live in North Carolina. It is a great blessing to listen to your program. I love these studies and feel as though I grow spiritually with each one. At first, I was the only one listening, but now my husband joins me. We sit down together and listen to the Word of God. It's wonderful. Keep going forward, my beloved brothers. God is transforming many lives through you. We would like to receive the notes and outlines to be able to follow more closely the Word of the Lord. Well, thanks for writing to us, Gina. Would you, too, like to receive a free copy of Dr. McGee's notes and outlines that go along with each study? Well, you can download them today at ttb.org forward slash notes. Or, better yet, you can get all of Dr. McGee's notes in one digital book, Briefing the Bible. Download your free copy at ttb.org forward slash briefing the Bible or request a printed paperback be sent out to you. Extra copies, well, they're always available for purchase in our online store. Again, you'll find everything you need at ttb.org forward slash briefing the Bible. Now, our last letter today comes from a listener in Africa who texted us this. I would like to say thank God for giving you favor in producing this program. Through your programs, the truth has been known to me, and I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Please pray for me as I want to stand firm for the rest of my life. Keep up and do not give up. You are an inspiration to me, and I believe other listeners as well. We rely on you daily. Well, praise God for this new brother. If you'd like to pray for him and other listeners to this program in more than 200 languages worldwide, please sign up for our world prayer team at ttb.org forward slash pray. And if you'd like to share what the Lord's doing in your life as we travel through the Bible together, you can write to us at BibleBus at ttb.org or send your note to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109, or in Canada, Box 25325. London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Now let's pray with and for each other. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that's carrying the truth of new life and an eternity with you to so many people around the world. We ask a special blessing now over all those who are listening today. Please increase our faith and help us to sense your presence as we worship you in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Follow along now in 1 Corinthians 11 as we go through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now we come today to consider the highest expression and the holiest exercise of Christian worship, which is the Lord's Supper. And because it had dropped down to such a low secular level, in fact, they were practically blaspheming, 
in the celebration of the supper there in Corinth, Paul is giving now instructions concerning it. It would be part of the spiritual division of this epistle, but it's not for the very simple reason that we are here dealing very candidly with a very bad situation, and I'm sure it could be duplicated today a little differently, but the same situation does not prevail today that prevailed in the church there. But there's certain lessons here for us. Now, the very interesting thing is that all four Gospels record the institution of the Lord's Supper. Not all of them have the birth of Christ, but they all have the Lord's Supper, which speaks of his death. The Lord did not request that the church remember his birthday, but he did request and command that those that are his own remember his death day. And Paul attached the utmost importance to it. And if you'd like to know just how important it was, Paul says here, way down in verse 23 of the 11th chapter, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Now, that he received by direct revelation. Paul puts it on par with the gospel, because over here in the 15th chapter, Paul there says concerning the gospel, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Now, the direct revelation was of the gospel, and the direct revelation was of the Lord's Supper. The Lord gave him special instructions concerning it. Now, that means that he received the gospel by revelation. He received the Lord's Supper. See, he was not present in the upper room. And now he's able to say, I delivered unto you here, and that he received of the Lord that which he says I'm delivering unto you. Now, it's rather difficult, I admit, to see the connection of what Paul says to the Corinthian church with our celebration of the Lord's Supper. And as we've said, there's no exact parallel, but there does happen to be a similar situation. Now, in that day, the Lord's Supper was preceded by a social meal. It was celebrated probably in the home, and probably daily they probably had the celebration of the Lord's Supper like that. In fact, right after the day of Pentecost, we're told in verse 46 of chapter 2 of Acts, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And Aristides, an Athenian philosopher, he lived in the early part of the second century, and he describes the way the Christians of his day live their lives. Now, I'm quoting from him. He says, "...every morning and all hours and on account of the goodness of God towards them, they praise and laud him." And if any righteous person of their number passes away from the world, they rejoice and give thanks to God. 
If a child chanced to die in its infancy, they praised God mightily as for one who has passed through this world without committing a sin. Now, that is a statement of an outsider of the church in the second century. So that the church in Corinth followed the procedure, actually, of having a meal in connection with the Lord's Supper. And after all, the Passover was that kind of a celebration in the upper room. Remember, our Lord celebrated the Passover supper. And we are told as they were eating, Jesus took bread. That's in Matthew 26, 26. And our Lord, on the dying embers of a fading feast, he did something new. Out of the ashes of that dead feast, he erected something new. Now, today we have a custom. That's a custom of clubs and fraternities and even of churches, savings banks, insurance companies, that they have a meal, a get-together. It's a sort of a time of fellowship. Now, the church would come together in that day for a supper, for a meal. Great many folk criticize church banquets, and I have too when they become nothing in the world but an attention given to the physical man. But the early church had them, and they called it the agape, or the love feast. And it was part of the koinonia, the fellowship of the church. And in that day, the social gathering led right into the Lord's Supper, that is, the Eucharist. Now, these feasts were finally separated, and they're not practiced today. You do not have a dinner that leads into the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Now, there is a message, though, in spite of that for us, and let's see if we can locate it. I go back and read verse 17, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Now, in this that I declare unto you, and that word declare, by the way, is command, and unto you is not in the, well, it's in italics, means it's actually not in the text. It should be, now in this that I command, and this now is a command from Paul, he says, I praise you not that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, they should have come together for a great spiritual blessing, but it didn't amount to that. Actually, they were worse off. What had happened? For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear. Now, when you come together in the church, he's not talking about an edifice, a building. He's talking about when the believers came together. We always identify a building with the church. We say, Well, the Methodist Church or the Baptist Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Independent Church is down on the next corner. Well, it's not down on the next corner. The churches are. It's closed up. Nobody's there. And that's not a church, just a building. Church of the people. But it's difficult for us to think in a context like that. For first of all, when you come together in the church, that is, as the believers come together, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. In other words, the party spirit was carried over into the Lord's Supper, that division that was there. And now notice verse 19. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Now, this explains the cults and isms. Why does God permit them? 
Well, have you ever noticed sometimes that when your wife or mother or the cook is cooking something and there is accumulation of something on top and she takes a skimmer and just skims it off? Well, that's what God does. The church has failed today, I think, with unbelievers, tell the truth. A large percentage of people in the sum total of all the churches, they're not saved at all. They're just members of a church. Now, the Lord, he skims them all. How? Well, they go into cults and isms. That's what he says here. He says very candidly, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. A heresy comes along, one of these cults says, and a lot of people go out of churches and flock to it. Why? Well, because the Lord's skimming them all, my friend. That which is genuine may be revealed. Now he says in verse 20, When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is, and you notice this is, is in italics. It should be, it's not possible to eat the Lord's Supper. In other words, it's impossible for them to celebrate the Lord's Supper because of the way that they have this feast that preceded it. Under these circumstances, they couldn't celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, he continues on. Verse 21, he says, For an eating, everyone taketh before others' own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. And believe me, what a comment that is. Here, some poor fellow, he came to the dinner. He couldn't even bring a covered plate of scalloped potatoes. And that, my friend, is the limit. He couldn't bring a few scalloped potatoes. And because of that, he was hungry. And there sat next to him a rich fella, and he had fried chicken and ice cream for dessert. And he's not passing anything to this poor man. You see, that fellowship's broken. That's not fellowship when you do like that. Always at the church picnic, I always made a point of circulating around at the mealtime. Everybody opens up their little picnic basket, and they have their picnic dinner there. And a lot of folks share, but I always went up and down and just helped myself because I think that that's what it should be. I think that it's a time of fellowship. And my friend, it's not a fellowship unless you share with me and I share with you. That's what was happening. And as a result, it was tragic. This man actually was hungry. And they don't give him anything. Well, that's not fellowship by any means. And then there was something else. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. What had happened? Verse 22, what? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Now, what was happening here was just simply this. They were fracturing and rupturing the church. And in its visible way, why, they should have shared everything. And then there was some getting drunk during this agape, the love feast. And they were in no condition to remember the death of Christ at all. It was all fuzzy and hazy to them. And now Paul gives that which he got by direct revelation. He says again, I praise you not. And he asked the question, shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Now, verse 23, he says, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. I hear people say they want to celebrate the Lord's Supper just exactly like the Lord 
dead. And then they have 11 o'clock morning service. Well, if you want to have it at the proper time, it would be at night. They went in at night. They eat the Passover feast. And if you wanted to pick out the right time, it wouldn't be 11 o'clock morning service. I instituted for a while in several churches in which I've served an evening communion and every other time of having it in the evening service. Well, you should have heard the amount of criticism that came at first. Oh, we want to celebrate it like the Lord did. I said, well, that's the reason we're having it at night. He instituted it at night. Listen to Paul. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Now, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now, he got this as a direct revelation of the Lord. And Paul wasn't present in the upper room. And it was the night that the forces of hell met to destroy our Savior. And I think the simplicity and sublimity of this supper is tremendous, and the sanity of it. Notice what he did. It says, when he had given thanks, he gave thanks that night while the shadow of the cross hung over the upper room. Sin was knocking at the door of the upper room demanding its pound of flesh. And he gave thanks. He gave thanks to God. Now he'd break it. And there's always been a difference of opinion among believers on that. Should you break the bread or serve it as it is? Well, may I say to you, Romanism breaks it. Lutheranism does not. And most Protestant churches don't. I instituted again something else that the one that served the bread before the congregation take a piece and break it right before him. That speaks of the broken body of our Lord. Bengal made this statement. He says, The very mention of the breaking involves distribution and refutes the Corinthian plan, every man for himself. They were to share this. This was something they were to share. Now, will you notice... He says, after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now, the bread speaks of his broken body, not bones, broken body. And now this speaks of the new covenant. This is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. And It's always called the cup, if you'll notice. Drink this cup. And Luke speaks of the fruit of the vine. Never is it called wine. May I say that I believe it was unfermented. Somebody says, why do you say that? Well, this was the Passover feast. And they were serving unleavened bread. Do you think that they served the leavened fruit of the vine, which would be wine? Oh, no. They would never have unleavened bread and leavened grape juice. The body is the cup that holds the blood. And that blood speaks of his death. And it wasn't contaminated blood like mine or yours. It was not leavened. It was unleavened grape juice, if you please. I believe that with all my heart. Now, verse 26. Paul now adds something new. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Ye do show forth the Lord's death 
till he come. Now, the Lord's Supper is a commemoration. You do this, he says, in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. Verse 25. And that looks back to the past. That looks back to the time that he died on the cross. The Lord's Supper is a commemoration in remembrance of him. But it's a communion. He's the living Christ today at God's right hand. And it means of my present vital relationship with Jesus Christ. But it also looks to the future. It's a commitment. This do ye, he says, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. And it looks down through the halls of history. And at that day, it was in the future. And it's still in the future, the coming of Christ for his church. It's a commitment on the part of those in view of that. Now, friends, what he did, he took these frail and fragile elements that had spoiled before the next week, and he erected a monument, not of marble, of bronze, or silver, or gold, but the simplest elements in the world, most familiar, bread and drink. Now, what does it mean to discern the Lord's body? Let's keep reading. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh... Now, unworthily is not here in verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, there have always been three interpretations of it. Romanism says, hocus meum corpus. This, that is, these elements, are the actual blood and body of Christ. Well, I have only one thing to say about that. That's actually true. Then you're cannibal if you eat in his body actually. Then Luther didn't come too far away from that. And his teaching was consubstantiation. And he said, by, in, through, with, and under, and over the bread, you get the body of Christ. Well, it's difficult for me to understand that. And then there are those that say it's a symbol. And that's been a Protestant viewpoint. Zwingli taught that. Just a symbol. But it's more than that. It's meaningful. There's something there for us. And it means you've got to discern the body of Christ. It means this. You have bread in your mouth, but you have Christ in your heart. My friend, that's the thing that's important. You remember when he went yonder on that Emmaus road, he had a meal with him. And then what did he do? He revealed himself. That was the Lord's Supper. Oh, may he reveal himself in this supper to you and to me today. Now he says, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Why? They've done it unworthily. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. But when we are judged of the Lord, we're chastened, that we should not be condemned with the world. Now, if we can judge ourselves when we're wrong, if we don't, he'll judge us. If we're believers, why? Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together, eat, tear one for another. And I uh, should add this, that we should not be condemned with the world. He's going to judge the world. Therefore, he has to deal with his own now. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. 
that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Now, there were other things wrong in Corinth, but Paul didn't write about them. He says, when I get there, I'm going to straighten those out. But these are the things. He's going to change the subject next time. He's going to move from the carnalities to the spiritualities. And that's what he wanted to talk about at the very beginning. But they had all of these problems, all these hang-ups, just like we have today. And that's the reason they're important to us. But now we're going to see the spiritualities next time. So until next time, friends, may God richly bless you. What an important study. Listen to it again or share it with a friend at ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE to find out the many ways that you can listen to Dr. McGee's teaching. One of them is sure to fit into your day. Join us next time as we come to another important issue that can cause a lot of debate among Christians, spiritual gifts. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here saving a seat on the Bible bus just for you. Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from his word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.